Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We have more than a few announcements to make, beginning with an invitation to please tell us you are here by using the sign-in link in your bulletin. You can also use the giving link in your bulletin to support the work and mission of this congregation with your tithes and offerings. And those of you who are in person can also put your, your gifts in the giving box, which is located just outside the sanctuary. 363 is gathering knit hats, coats, scarves, and hand warmers for our friends at the Homeless Alliance and Joe's Addiction. Our distribution date will be November 28th, so please bring those things to the church between now and next Sunday. Please be sure to check the tab in the bulletin and on our announcements page on the website to see what is going on around here during Advent, which starts next Sunday, including 9 a.m. Sunday School that I will teach for all ages in Milligan Hall. We also will have an Advent Evensong on December 4th, and we will also have our Christmas Eve services at 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock. All of that information is in the bulletin and on the website. And finally, in partnership with the Homeless Alliance, we are hosting a community meeting here 
at Mayflower tomorrow at 1 p.m. to organize opposition to the proposed ordinance that will allow the Oklahoma City Police Department to arrest people in homeless camps for trespassing. We will be joined by expert service providers who will help us better understand why fines and jail are an ineffective approach. And of course, we will also be talking how deeply immoral that approach is. You do, um, you, if you can come tomorrow at one, that's great. If you can't, that's okay too. We will be updated, keeping folks updated on what is happening with that issue. The proposal will be heard on Tuesday, November 22nd, at the Oklahoma City City Council meeting, and it starts at 8.30 if you are able to come to that. Again, we will keep you updated on strategy and important dates as we go. And now, let us begin with our call to worship. Come, let us ground ourselves in the sacredness of this ordinary day. We come with our stories, our sorrows, our disappointments, and our dreams. We are here to move towards connection and compassion. Let us collect our resources that they might be shared. Let us hold one another in kindness. Let us hold the door open for something good to happen. Let us make this the way of the world. We take the first step by joining our hearts in song. Let us sing together.
Friends, we now enter into a time of community prayer where we trust each other with our joys and concerns. And we start with joy. The birthdays we celebrated over the past week include, but are not limited to, Gary Yarbrough, Brooklyn Rutledge, Amy Bish Dugan, and Chris Williams. For the lives of these beloveds, let the people say, thanks be to God. We are so glad this morning to have as our guest preacher, the Reverend Dr. Debbie Powell Maxwell. Debbie earned her degree in music education from Frostburg State University and spent many, many, many years in music ministry in churches all over. Oklahoma became her home in 1996, and she went on to receive her Master's of Divinity and Doctor of Ministry degrees from Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa. She is married to Kyle Maxwell, also a minister and a pilot, and together they have three grown children and five grandchildren. And I will only add that Debbie has been, for many, a shelter in the storm and a relentless encourager for the work and ministry of Debbie Powell Maxwell and her presence with us this morning. Let the people say, thanks be to God. The day after the election, the governor stood in front of the Capitol building and declared every square inch of Oklahoma for Jesus. But because he is not the boss of us, the interfaith community gathered for its 75th annual Thanksgiving prayer service on Tuesday to speak of mercy and gratitude and other shared values we hold dear, and to raise money for the Homeless Alliance. It was a joyful and poignant evening for a strong interfaith community and 75 years of gathering to give thanks together as people of faith. Let the people say, thanks be to God. Last Sunday afternoon at our annual meeting, Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ voted unanimously to join the mission to become a wise congregation welcoming, inclusive, supportive, and engaged in the mental health of our community and the wider world. For the work of the widest welcome team to get us there and for a congregation eager for reflection, learning, and change, let the people say, thanks be to God. Yesterday, we were so delighted to witness the wedding vows of J.C. Manning and Carolyn Sargent, now known to us as the Manning family. For the gift of love and the people and people to celebrate it with, let the people say, thanks be to God. I, yeah, but it's, it's a hooping and hollering. Yeah. I invite you now to say aloud a name or a place that may mean something only to you, but doing so will be enough for us to help you carry it. Let us be in prayer together. You have heard those names we have spoken aloud, Holy One, and to those names we add Jonathan, Rod, Houston, George, Zach's dad, Tim Hawks, Lee Graham, Tammy's dad, Bob, and Mary Knowles. May they know that we hold them close. We are shaken Holy One, by the news of the shooting at Club Q, a queer nightclub in Colorado Springs. For the dead and for the wounded and for all those whose safe place has been torn apart, we pray. We are devastated that this happened on the Transgender Day of Remembrance, which, which exists because of anti-transgender violence. We pause to say 
the names of some of those we know and honor their memory. We pray for Tiffany, Samaj, Maya, Didi, AC, Aaron, Candy, Marcella, Hayden, Cherry, Keisha, Martasia, Kitty, Charmaine, Brazil, Shanlika, Maddie, Sasha, Nidra, Ray, Fern, Ariana, Nia, Kenyatta, Catherine, Tatiana, Paloma, Matthew, Naomi, Cyprus, Duel, and Amari. Their memory is a blessing. Be with us, God of mercy, as we work to make the world safe for all of your children. For courage amidst fear, grace amidst weariness, and healing amidst heartbreak, we pray. Come to us, Holy One, abide with us, and grant us your peace. Amen. And now let us say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Creator, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For you reign in the power that is love, now and always. Amen. Let us bow our heads together. May you be prepared 
to endure everything with patience, the author of Colossians writes, Holy One, and it hits a little too close to home as we start this first week of the holiday season. We do, indeed, have some things to endure. We are about to endure some really terrible prayers around the dinner table, specifically the dreaded Jesus Weegis litany. Jesus, we just ask for this, and Jesus, we just ask for that, and Jesus, we just want them to wrap it up so we can eat. We are about to endure some really terrible food, specifically that Jell-O Cool Whip concoction of unnatural color and texture. We'll eat it to make grandma happy, but God, in your mercy, it'll be easier if there aren't chunks of fruit in it, too. We are about to endure what seems like six straight weeks of relentless togetherness, family dinners, friends givings, office parties, middle school winter concerts, Christmas pageants, you name it, it's on the calendar. Be with us as we try to manage everything, including our peace. And then there are those things we are about to endure, which we don't feel quite so clever about. Difficult conversations, painful silence, cosmic absences, broken relationships, unbendable custody arrangements, news of a crushing diagnosis. But scripture doesn't just encourage us to endure everything with patience. There's another clause attached. May you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks. Someone wrote a hymn about it. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Help us to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks, which is just another way of saying that there really always is a break in the clouds. There really always is more to the story. There really always is a different angle. Give us hearts that see and know, perceive and understand, Holy One. Letting our gratitude lead the way, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite our kindergarten through fifth graders to join Jace and LaRonda and Donna up in the front. We've got some clipboards of fun for you. Plenty of room. And if you change your mind at some point, it is okay. Just come on up at any point. Just a couple more. Our scripture lesson this morning is a little bit different. It will be scattered throughout the sermon. But we begin in chapter 9 of the Gospel according to John with verses 1 through 13. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi... Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. 
As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had, been, had formerly been blind. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to our God. I want to thank you for inviting me here this day. I am honored to be gifted the trust of the pulpit within this community of believers. I have long been an admirer of Mayflower and your pastor. <clears throat> when I read a text, my interpretation often changes because the lens through which we view our life continually changes and based on our life experiences as well as our cultural knowledge, our understanding evolves, or it should. I have preached on this text several times, albeit not the entire chapter in one sitting. <laughs> and therefore is my point. My understanding has evolved partly because we are not hearing just a small segment of the story. We're going to hear the whole story. Thank you for breaking it up so that we can unpack what is happening. The first thing that struck me is how amazingly calm this story opens, chapter 9. And as he walked along, well, because if you look back at chapter 8, the last verse of chapter 8, which is 59, it says, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. What? It seems to be a very calm start to this story when Jesus just narrowly escaped being stoned. When Jesus and his disciples first encountered the man in John 9, the disciples assume the man's blindness is some kind of curse or punishment for sin. There was a common understanding in the culture at this time that disabilities were caused by sin, though there was much debate about exactly whose sin we're talking about. And then Jesus clearly rejects this myth in verse 3 with the words, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. I've always had trouble with that. This statement makes me recognize that we need to be very careful when reading these stories of healing. 
Some might interpret the statement about using the man to reveal God's works to mean that the man was born blind so Jesus could come along and perform this great miracle for all to see. But if we accept that, then we accept that God uses the disabled so that they can become inspirational stories. And that reduces this man to nothing more than a pawn to be used at the expense of his humanity. Frankly, I don't worship that God. The thing is, in the ancient world, a person with a disability was prevented from working. Yes, they were prevented from working. The blind and other differently abled people could only beg to merely survive. Forget about thriving. When Jesus heals this man, he frees him from a life of begging and gives him a life with dignity. So much so that he is no longer known as the blind beggar. When Jesus sent him to wash the mud from his eyes in the pool of Siloam, the pool of the scent, this man becomes the one who testifies now to Jesus. He is now the man sent to witness to others that Jesus is sent from God. He emerges from the pool with a sense of mission and a sense of self-worth that was foreign to his neighbors. They couldn't believe he was the same person. Remember these words? Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? His encounter with Jesus filled him with new hope and purpose but others weren't so sure. They couldn't accept his story, so they sent him to be examined by the religious authorities. Yes, the religious authorities. They said to him, 
What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? That's my favorite part. <clears throat> Now, these authorities were especially suspicious because Jesus had worked his miracle on the Sabbath, which was considered a violation of religious law. Some said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But still they couldn't come to any agreement, so they pressed the man further and further until he responded in verse 17, he is a prophet. Well, his testimony is rejected, but now the authorities are united in their suspicions and their accusations. The man's own family was questioned, and they shrank before these powerful religious leaders, intimidated and fearing the consequences of questioning the status quo. They left him on his own. Now we have a house divided over this Jesus person and his power to help the needy and the man born blind is feeling very much alone. But he soon begins to respond more and more boldly to each question to the point that he eventually, and again, I said this is my very favorite part, he questions their motives by inviting them to be disciples, which they, of course, reject, and he, in essence, is excommunicated. It's notable that during all this questioning, Jesus is nowhere to be found. It's also notable that many of those who are blessed by Jesus soon run into trouble in the world because, you know, good news, it seems, is not always good news to the powerful. But the formerly blind man who never asked to be healed is so powerful in his witness, the crowds continue to speak of him and his story. He is spoken of again in John 10 and again in John 11. So let's hear the rest of the story. Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, 
and those who do not, who do see, may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. The man born blind, for whom we never have a name, you know, that's usually left for the women, (laughs) was driven out of his community as punishment, as punishment for his testimony. And when Jesus heard about this, remember, he's been gone. This entire exchange with the religious leaders, Jesus was nowhere to be found. He seeks out the man and he welcomes his as as one of the many unknown disciples who were spreading the good news. Once again, Jesus chose a person whom society had rejected. When Jesus said, I come into the world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Jesus took the word blind, which in his day was used as a very rude and demeaning label. He uses this in addition to, he turns it, because it also means people without eyesight. And he turns it against the very people who were using these labels to degrade their neighbors. God's works are revealed in this this passage, to be sure. But instead of a simple healing narrative, this man gets an entire chapter devoted to him. Have you ever wondered why? Well, I did. His story reminds us to examine our own assumptions. This story has a powerful point. The man who was once unable to participate in society is now able to actively and fully participate. that's the healing moment. Let me repeat that. The man who was once unable to participate in society, remember I said all they could do was beg. They could not work. They could only beg to survive. This man who was once unable to participate in society is now able to actively and fully participate. That is the healing moment. Jesus has freed him from those restrictions, and the healing has made it clear. Light comes to those who recognize that life is blindness without Christ. Darkness comes to those who without Christ claim to see. With his restored sight came restored dignity. I wonder what it would look like to create an environment where fear of differences is replaced by encouraging all people to share their gifts, even when God calls some to lead us in ways that threaten the status quo. Maybe especially then. I wonder how we would be different if we stop insisting on arbitrary barriers and labels like spiritual blindness, 
and instead begin to see the man in John 9 and all of our neighbors as real people whose witness matters. I wonder how it would look if in a world that often pushes us to compete or to conform, we actually acknowledge God's call in a different way. Like working together, needing each other, and actually being the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Christ. I wonder how it would be to see Jesus again for the first time. I wonder. So be it. and sing each other out into the only world we know. May God grant to us the grace to never sell ourselves short, the courage to risk something big for something good, and the wisdom to know that the world is too small for anything but love. So let us go in peace, pray for peace, wage a little peace, particularly at the city council meeting on Tuesday and love one another, every single other. Amen. <laughs>